0: And then I said, son, I want to ask you not ever again to say, to, to say that there's something humanly possible that you can't do. I don't want you to insult your own intelligence nor your mother's nor mine, but saying something humanly possible you can't do. Can't do is not the reason. The issue is, are you willing to pay the price?
1: Welcome to Love Leaders Podcast. Have you ever found yourself struggling with your relationships, career decisions, or maybe you have a goal you've been trying to reach or struggling with that big question in life, what is my purpose? There are so many challenges we face. Well, this podcast is for you. I'm Todd Houston and I've had my share of ups and downs from an accident where I died twice, a leg amputation, divorces, and addictions, to being happily married, beautiful children, breaking world records, and multiple prestigious awards. I've spoken in King's Palaces, to victims in war zones, and gangs on the streets. And one thing I've learned, life is a lesson in love. Join us today as we discuss with top experts how you can overcome life's challenges and reach your goals with heart. Okay, welcome to Love Leader's Podcast. I'm Todd Houston, your host. Today we are going to talk about why fear is never your friend. I have with me the top legal eagle and the man who who once was offered to become a millionaire and, and declined it because he said, "I don't want to lose that much money." We have with us Gary Richardson. Hello Gary, how are you? I'm doing good, Todd. How about you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. So, yeah. wow, what a topic. Fear is never yeah, your friend. It's yeah, an interesting yeah. way, yeah, of, uh, of discussing something that is so prevalent in this world today because of everything going on, and that is fear. I mean, that's where you're hearing fear everywhere. You're hearing it on the media, you're, you're hearing it when people uh, are having their conversations, you're hearing it from your family members. Uh, you're hearing it from the politicians and the world leaders. So what, what is this fear that you're talking about? I mean, how do you define fear?
0: Well, what I say, Todd, is that uh, fear is not rational, number one. Uh, number two, for a person that has faith, that ha- believes in faith, uh, faith will never coexist with fear. Now, one might say, what is your friend? And this is kind of a shortcut to the bottom line of the book, and there's a lot of material in between. But the bottom line is this. The book of Proverbs tells us to pray daily for knowledge and wisdom. When I was a young man in my late 20s, I heard a minister say that the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. So Todd, I recorded the entire book of Proverbs on cassette tape, and for weeks, listened to Proverbs going to and from work. And there are a lot of things in Proverbs that, that really give us building foundations. So the, the answer is, it, it, much like I, I was telling my banker one day that I, she asked what was going on. I said, well, I'm writing a book. She said, what's, what's the title? I said, Fear is Never Your Friend. And because of how she reacted, I said, Sue, I get the impression you don't agree with that. And she says, well, I really don't. And I said, well, give me an example of how you think fear could be your friend. And she said, well, you know, if I saw a snake curled up on the floor and knew that it was, number one, knew that it uh, uh, was in a striking condition to me, and number two was a snake that could harm me, I think my fear would help me uh, protect myself. I said, what do you think would happen if a two-year-old baby was crawling on the floor and saw the same snake? And she said, well, they'd probably go to the snake. I said, exactly. Now, what's the difference in what you have and in difference in what the baby doesn't have? The baby doesn't have the knowledge that's a snake, that it can harm you, that you're in striking distance doesn't have knowledge and wisdom. Doesn't have knowledge and wisdom. Now our friend is knowledge and wisdom. For example, I don't run, I don't run out in front of a truck because fear, fear doesn't keep me from doing it. Knowledge and wisdom keeps me from running out in front of a truck.
1: Right, yeah, so and that's what a, a parent does is try to teach their child the, to, to have the knowledge and, and so they could develop the wisdom to make better decisions in, in their life. I mean, that's exactly. as, as a kid, don't do this, don't do that, or be careful of this or be careful of that. It's not really about uh, teaching the child fear.
0: Right.
1: I mean, I'm assuming that God doesn't want to, you know, he's not teaching us fear. Our parents aren't sitting there really teaching us fear. I think what they're trying to do is, yeah, like you're saying, they're teaching us the knowledge. So that we recognize the danger and have the wisdom to stay away from
0: it. Well, Todd, uh, I think we do teach our children fear. I think that's where they get it. You know. Uh, really? Okay. So, so how how do do you think
1: a parent intentionally is teaching fear? And I, I, I and I'm not talking about every parent, uh, but they are inadvertently teaching fear. And are we inadvertently, even not just a parent, but Maybe even as a society, do we do that to ourselves?
0: Well, I think uh, parents, uh, you know, like you say, don't intentionally teach your children fear. But for example, stay out of the street, you'll get hurt. Well, that's not all the information that child needs. Mm -hmm. That child needs to know how they could get hurt. Give them knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then stay out of the street, give them wisdom. You know, you, you uh, punish your child because you tell them to stay out the street and they run out into the street. Why? Because they don't have enough information. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I've heard, uh, I I've worked with good. a lot of
1: adolescents and kids before, and, and it's interesting because you can, you can sit there and have the same talk with them as maybe another parent is having with them. Right. And, and I've, I've had them say to me, the reason I listen to you. It's because you explain it to me and it makes sense. It's not like just a nagging, 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 right. do do this, don't do this, don't do that. It's explained, and, and, and a child could actually take that information, internalize it, make sense of it, and understand that this is really for my best interest to listen.
0: How many times, Todd, do you think parents have said, just do as I say. <laughs> well, that means the child isn't understanding why you're telling them to do something or not do something. Just do as I say. But uh, is it
1: okay? But isn't that isn't that kind of like the Bible a little bit? Isn't that a little bit? I mean, how can you you, you can say that, but then how do you help somebody understand that? that God who's the father of all isn't really saying that to his children because it almost sounds like if you know you the pastors the religious leaders don't don't you know just listen and do it by faith even if you don't understand it
0: wait a minute wait a minute Todd he is doing it by in his word 366 times in the scriptures it tells us to fear not It talks about fear, 366 times. Have faith, trust the Father, Mm -hmm. you know, have faith. Fear not. Well, then he has to explain why fear not, which the scripture does. But how many people study their Bible, Todd, to truly learn the wisdom and knowledge?
1: But how much fear is being taught out of the pulpits too?
0: Yeah. No, I agree.
1: I mean, and those are the people that are supposed to know the Bible, read the Bible, and they're 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 sharing the Word to their congregation, who's there to listen and to accept what's coming out of the pulpit. And a lot of times, fear is coming out of the pulpit.
0: Well, I, I would say that that happens more than it should. But let me uh, read to you real quickly, Wade Burrison, who uh, wrote an acknowledgement in the book. Uh huh. Wade Burleson, a good friend of mine, pastors one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the state of Oklahoma, and Enid, Emmanuel Baptist, and he says, for years as a pastor, I have searched for practical practical tools to give to people who are afraid, who live in fear, something that could help them identify fear in their lives and assist, assist them in overcoming its powerful negative influence. This book is the answer to my search. I, I get chills when I read that because I'm so thankful. With, with simple language and profound illustrations and down-home wisdom, it reaches the heart of the reader and helps those who read it to overcome fear. Now, you know, a lot of people, when I, as a lawyer, when I work with uh, lawyers and, and I hear and one of them says, well, I'm afraid that I, I say you can stop right there. I'm not interested in any, quote, wisdom that comes from fear. And I'm serious. I've done that for years. I'm not interested when you're coming up with wisdom out of fear. You know, what, what's an example of wisdom coming out of fear? Well, it's fear based. It, you know, the, the fear. I'm afraid that if we do this, this can happen. Uh-huh. Instead of sitting down and, and saying, you know, knowledge tells me this, and, and when I use the knowledge I have, and then I use the wisdom that, that God has given me, my answer is let's don't do this.
1: Right. So theoretically you could say that no wisdom could really come out of fear.
0: Well, I'm not necessarily saying that. It'd be an accident. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, as a rule, I'm not interested in the bases. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a few years ago, I uh, all of a sudden fell to the floor and was rushed to the hospital where I spent eight days. They didn't find anything. They ran every test they could run. And uh, I did a follow-up call with one of the principal doctors And after the follow-up call, he said, uh, now, Mr. Richardson, the only thing we have to worry about, and I said, doctor, you can stop right there. And I'm serious. I don't worry about anything. Now, doctor, if you will tell me that if I worry about it, it will help it, I will worry about it. (laughs) Right, right. If you want to just tell me what the other
1: possible condition is that we might watch out for and be aware of so that we may have an opportunity to correct it, I'll listen to that statement. Exactly, exactly. Got it, got it. Don't, okay.
0: Don't go telling me to worry, you know. And, right,
1: yeah. right. I was so you're telling me how I should react yeah. to news I don't even, I'm not even aware of And You're making that choice to fear for me. I mean, you're
0: you're telling me to fear.
1: Which is nothing
0: but an emotional feeling, and, and he said, I sure wish I had more patience like you, (laughs) but I I don't. Well,
1: all right. So, so let's go. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go. Let's go back to little Gary, okay? Little Gary's growing up in uh, where somewhere in Oklahoma?
0: No, Rio Hondo, Texas,
1: deep south, eighteen miles from Mexico. Out in Texas, okay. All right. Oh, way, way, way south. All right. So, what was uh, what was?
0: Your first experience of fear? I, I grew up with fear. I, I was very small for my age. It's hard for people to believe today since I'm 6'2 and weigh 220 and have for years. But uh, growing up, I had, of course, I have a twin sister. She was always taller than me until my junior year in high school. You know, we'd sing in church. Mother had us singing in church. Don't you know that was good? And I, I wouldn't sing unless they let me stand on a box. Ah, <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> Like President Trump saying about Biden, or was saying about the former uh, candidate from New York, he didn't want to stand on a box, you know?
1: Oh, yes, yes, the uh-huh. <laughs> presidential candidate.
0: But I grew up in the country, uh, we grew up in the country, and uh, uh, I had a lot of fear. You know, there were nights that I'd slip out of my bed and, and go down and sleep on the floor next to my parents' room, and being small, you know, I mean, uh, I just had a lot of fear, and I hated it, and that's well, why. What
1: I, kind of fear were you having?
0: Fear of safety, you know, living out in the country, and, and you know, etc., etc., and just safety, and they were afraid. Well,
1: were, you, were you afraid of wild animals? Were you afraid of snakes? Were you afraid of uh, people you know, coming in and robbing or...
0: Uh, Who knows? Fear uh, most often, just like in my case, you don't find. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So, but you weren't born with that fear, Gary. So, um, where did that fear come from? Where do you think your first experiences of fear actually, what what were they birthed out of?
0: Well, I would say Todd, uh, much like most people's fear, and as a a child, I thought it's wisdom uh, fear. Mm -hmm. I thought it would protect me I hated it so I decided in my 20s to find out what fear was all about went to the scriptures spent several months in the scriptures thus came the book fear is never your friend Mm
1: -hmm. now why did you go to the scriptures why didn't you go to uh, a psychologist or Or why didn't you just kind of play around with it in your own mind and try and figure it out intellectually? Why why
0: the scriptures? To your other question, the reason it's so hard to define what fear, what caused your fear is because it's so illogical. Fear is so illogical, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. hard to say. Well, Todd, I didn't even know there were psychologists back (laughs) then. Well, you know, and and that's what we're
1: saying in the... the, uh, mental health profession is there's a reason why they call it crazy because people will say well I, I, I don't understand that person i don't understand why they're coming from there and you can't figure it out exactly. you know that's why they call it crazy right and it's like what you're saying about fear you can't figure it out it's illogical it makes no
0: real sense right exactly you know and, and todd like certain things to fear. Uh, I was in a uh, court situation uh, many years ago with a partner, we decided to split up and, and uh, we couldn't agree on how much uh, he should get. So we, we, you know, it's a friendly thing. We went to court for a decision. And during, during, the, during the trial, uh, I learned that uh, that some money had been distributed uh, in the firm and uh i uh i say during the trial because uh, I, it was the second day of the trial that came up and so my partner went to his accountant and found out what it was about and came to the courthouse the next day and told me he said gary i need to talk to you at lunch he said i talked to my accountant this morning i know what that money situation is i said okay so he met me at lunch and he said uh Gary, and the other side didn't know because they failed to question about it. And at this point, there's no way they can know unless we told
1: them.
0: Mm -hmm. And that was a distribution. And if we tell the other side uh, uh, what the situation was, he said, it's gonna cost me talking about himself about $70,000. And because I had a large, much larger percentage in the firm, he said, it's going to cost you right at $275,000. Mm. I said, so what's the, what's, what's the issue? He said, well, whether or not we tell him. I said, there is no issue. If it's his money, it goes to him. We're going to tell him. He said, well, I told our lawyer that that would be your position. And he said, we're crazy. If we tell him, I said, hey, I don't want somebody else's money. It doesn't belong to me. So I went back and told the lawyer, he said, Gary, you're crazy. That was their job to find out during discovery. And I said, look, it's very simple. If it's his money, I want him to have it. Now, you know, did I go through some, did fear try to stop me from doing that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what would the fear be? The fear right. that you were going to be losing money? Yeah, exactly. I might need that money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how right. many of us don't need it, You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get to the place we don't need it or couldn't use it. So yeah, fear attacked me, but instantly I let faith take control that I would be taken care of. God is our provider. Mm-hmm. God is our protector. And I stand on that. Now, when you stand on that, as he is our protector, he is our provider, nothing can happen to my life unless he allows it and brings it. In Romans 8, 28, he says he will use it for our good and for his glory. Yeah, how could you have fear if you just believe that?
1: Yes, yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely. But you know, when you're in the midst of fear, when you're actually in the midst of it, like so many people are today, when they're they're it's just pervasive, and and it's it seems like everywhere on the outside and even from within they are experiencing this fear in their minds and and you know, it's, it can be hard to lose sight of that. And, and I'm thinking of a story that, that I've heard you say once, where you literally had a judge ready to throw you in jail.
0: Oh, he told me I going in jail for six months.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and to me, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, do I want to take a quarter of a million dollar hit? You know, I've got I've got some money. It's, it's you know, it's not going to bankrupt me or anything like that. I, you know, I can, I can cover this. I'll be okay. But if they're ready to take your freedom away from you, right. if they're ready to, to take your license away from you, potentially, right. then, then that's a whole other degree of fear. You know what I say? Because you don't feel like you, you don't have the control. You don't have the resources to necessarily uh, absorb the hit.
0: Yeah, another thing I say is love. If you have love, that will cast it out, fear. Now, that's a good example. I was defending a district attorney that had been wrongfully indicted. He was looking at 84 years, and it's in my book, Black Robe Fever. Also, there's there's a uh, Netflix uh, series right now uh, called The Confession Killer. Everybody should watch that. Henry Lucas, The Confession Killer, has five episodes, and it's about that case also that resulted from all this stuff involving Henry. Well, anyway, uh, I'm defending Vic in federal court in Austin, Texas. He's looking at 84 years. He is not guilty of anything they charged him with. Then the reason they charged him is because he was fixed to indict eight law enforcement officers because of how they were fraudulently using Henry Lucas to solve unresolved murder cases all over the country. So they indicted. it. Well, the judge, the week before trial, this federal judge, called me in along with the other lawyers and Mr. Bazell, and told me, Mr. Richardson, this, this jurisdiction does not recognize retaliation as a defense. We were saying they retaliated against Vic. That's why they charged him. I do not want to hear the name Henry Lucas one time during this trial. Do you understand? I said, yes, sir, I do. So we leave. Vic's decided himself, what are we going to do? What do you mean? What are we going to do? He took our defense away from us. How do you do that? So we can't talk about Lucas. I said, "Vic, you may be a federal judge and he may wear a black robe, but he does not have the authority to tell me how to defend your criminal case. So what are you saying? What do you think I'm saying? Are you going to talk about Lucas? Yes, I am going to talk about Lucas. And I did talk about Lucas. I was talking about Lucas in an opening statement. And I never argued with the judge, never let him get under my skin. You understand me, Mr. Richardson, after cheering me out. Yes, sir, I understand you. He helped me in the court eight times that week. But I, I had a, you know, I see myself as one of the characteristics God gave me that I think has been very useful in my profession. I have a rescue, I have a need to rescue people. Where do you think that came from, Gary?
1: Where do you think that came from? Where 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 did you where did you uh, have this passion for wanting to go out and rescue people?
0: Well, who knows where it comes from? Whether we know God gives us our nature, but what did He use to help me come into this nature? I, I think a father who had that mentality, growing up poor not knowing we were poor, but looking back, we were very poor, And uh, but uh, anyway, this judge told me after about the third time, when trial's over, I'm going to jail for six months. I said, Judge, I think you know I'm willing to do that. That's what I have to do, and if rather what it takes to give my client some time. But I've been held in contempt of court by a number of judges, and it's all in my book, Black Road Fever, and I named them all. <laughs> you know. Because and, you, you weren't afraid, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you say you're crazy, you know, and I name them all. And but I've never been punished, not one time, because I knew I was within my legal boundaries. Well, okay, so so Gary, it's it's easy
1: to slide down this slippery slope of negative thinking, right? And how do you how do you take these very strong and sometimes pervasive negative thoughts and turn them into a positive, turn them into, I'm going to use this as something that's going to help me, that's going to help others.
0: Now, I, now I'm going to uh, bring something out that will uh, uh, let people know that you're asking that question for their benefit because you know the answer. And what I'm talking about <laughs> I mean, I'm amazed, and, and uh, folks in the book, uh, Fears Never Your Friend, I wrote one chapter on Todd, on Todd Houston, because this man uh, with a, an amputee, lost his leg in a, in a boat incident, set out to set a world record, or a United States record, by climbing the top mountain in every state. 24,000 right. miles trip, wow. Todd, as I was preparing for a lot him. of gas. Huh? It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of gas. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not only did Todd climb every top mountain in the United States, he set a record by doing it in 35 days less than anyone else had done before him. I don't know if it's still a record or not, Todd. But well, uh, I, th-
1: I think for, for the way we did it, yeah, yes, it is. But but and and I know that it, that in my case, yes, I turned a negative situation or what is perceived, I would say perceived as a negative situation yeah. and saw it positively, but I'm wondering how how you've yeah, been it able to do too. that in your life. I'm sorry. I'm wondering how you've been able to do that in your life because I mean you've had you've even though you've been extremely successful in a lot of things, there are a couple of times that things just did not work out the way that you had felt and believed that you were being led to go. And I'm wondering yeah. how did you how do you take those kind of disappointments that that are just breeding ground, a petri dish for negative thinking, and be able to, to turn something positive
0: out of it. I, I would assume, and, and, and I can understand why you wouldn't maybe be talking about my run for governor two years ago.
1: You've ran a, a couple of times, yes.
0: Now, in both instances, both instances, I too truly believe to this day that God laid it on my heart to make those races, right? Mm-hmm. Never once said you're going to win. I never ever took the position that God was telling me I was going to be governor. It was just that I was to run. Was I disappointed? I was not. Why? Because I finished the course. I finished that which I felt called to do. You
1: know, so, that's interesting.
0: So I, I was, interviewing, uh, I was in, interviewing a young lady who's
1: a, a bicyclist uh, the other day. And, and she, she's very, very good. And one thing that she said, which is very similar to what you're, you're saying, was when she felt her best, when she felt she did everything she was supposed to do, it wasn't those times that she won. It was those times that she gave it everything she had and finished the
0: course. Sure. And, and again, it's, it's about, particularly if you're a person of faith, It's about knowing the scriptures and standing on the scriptures. For example, again in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs that I recorded and listened to for days, pardon me, going from work, it says, Make your plans, but leave the results to me. Now, say that again, Gary. Make your plans, but leave the results to me, Mm -hmm. says the Lord. Now, for example, the race for governor. I have no idea what it was all about. Fortunately, I don't need to know what it was about. I just need to know that, I just know that God laid it on my heart to run for governor and to have peace in my life, I needed to run for governor. Mm -hmm. Again, I wasn't into win, lose, or draw, right? I did everything I knew to do to win, but when we live our lives that way, Todd, and we have character and integrity, we don't need to cheat. You see, when we say it's all about him and what his plan for life is, we don't have to cheat. We don't have to cut corners. We don't have to do anything but be a person of integrity and move forward. Right, and we don't even have to win the world's race. Yeah, and I'm not saying whoever won did cheat, not at all. Uh I'm saying I didn't win because it wasn't God's plan for my life. For example, when I ran in 2002, Frank Keating, the Senate government, tried to talk me into running as Republican. I said, Frank, I wouldn't have your job because you have to represent the people of the state. You represent a party. I want to have a job where I can represent the state, so I ran as an independent. He said, you can't win as an independent. I said, Frank, you're probably right, but Frank, the bottom line is this. If God's plan is for me to be governor, you're looking at your governor. If it, if it isn't his plan for my life, then I won't be governor. That's all I'm interested in is his plan for my life. Now, how did I get there? Through the scriptures, through studying the word, through knowing who I am in him. So, but I wrote the book, Fear is Never Your Friend, uh, based on principles, based on life, and and truly knowing that fear is never your friend. It's wisdom and knowledge.
1: And and, and I wanna ask you in the statement you just made, you said who you are in him.
0: Right. Who are you in him? Well, again, I'm a person in him that he tells me in his word that he, he is my protection. I'm a person in him where he tells me in his word that he supplies my needs. I don't have to worry about my needs. I don't have to cheat to see to it my needs fulfilled. I'm a person that he, that he uh, says there's an appointed day for me to come home. Why should I worry about the virus? Now, again, I use wisdom and knowledge. I'm not going to run out in front of a truck, but I, I'm not in fear about what's going on today because of him. And as far as my life, you know, he says there's already a day appointed for when he's going to bring me home. Do I know when it is? No. Do I want to know? No. <laughs> but that's who I am in him.
1: Got it. All right. And, you know, I'm also thinking about the whole success day. Uh, I I would venture to say that most all of us, even though, you know, I've done the mountain climbing and world record there and, and have some successes in my life. And obviously you've had some really uh, in, uh, amazing successes in your life. But I would think that all of us could, if we're really honest, would say we We've had many, many failures. I, I don't know if I've had more failures than I've had successes, but I will tell you that the successes that I've had definitely outweigh my failures.
0: <laughs> and we learn every time we fail. Yes. Good example. How many times does a baby fall before they learn to walk?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And- right. But those, a baby doesn't fear. My question is, are those failures? are those learning step times and stepping stones. <laughs> learning opportunities. Exactly. Yeah, and,
1: and, and it's interesting because a baby doesn't fear walking. Right. It doesn't, you know, oh, I fell, I'm afraid I'm going to fall again. Right. I'm not going to get back up and I'm not going to try and walk right. again, you right. know? No, I, the, it has no fear. It's like, I'm just going to keep going and keep going until, until I get it done.
0: Yeah. So, so, you know, what we call failures, How, again, I go back to the scriptures, Romans 8, 28. I will use it all for your good and for my glory. How can it be a failure? Just because it didn't go the way we wanted it to go at the time, we thought it'd be best for it if it went that way. But if we trust the word, it's best for us, period.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that would really be your takeaway then, that if somebody's going through a disappointment, they're going through... You know, because a lot of people might be feeling failure right now because of everything that's going on. Maybe they've lost their jobs. They, uh, they are not able to be with family. Uh, they're not getting their education like you know, they'd hoped they would be getting, uh, whatever it might be. Um, what, would, what would you say would be the most positive attitude to have during this kind of period?
0: Well, of course, the most positive attitude is, is that we can trust and believe that we are those things that God says we are as his child, uh, that uh, there is a, always a silver lining. And, you know, one reason I would say that people uh, are negative and show fear. Uh-huh. <clears throat> pardon me is because they become known as being wise. I'll give you an example. You as a psychologist probably know this very well. I had a law partner years ago that was one of the most negative people in the world. he drove me crazy because he's so negative. And of course, I'm positive positive. was then.
1: Yeah, what, what does negative look like in a law office? They're just like, uh, they feel like you're never gonna win a case or what, what's negative look like? We'll be right back you're listening to Love Leaders Podcast, and I'm your host, Todd Houston. You can hear replays of our show at Spotify, Google Play, and other top podcast directories. And don't forget to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages, and please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Now, back to the show. Yeah, what what does negative look like in a law office? They're just like, uh, they feel like you're never going to win a case or what? what's negative look
0: like? Uh, I don't think we can win this case because of this, this, this. And I say, Lloyd, I think we can because of this, this, and this. Now, a negative thinking person always looks for negative. Yeah. Positive thinking person always looks for positive. Mm-hmm. Now, here, here's what makes a negative person gain the wisdom, gain, gain the reputation of being wise. A psychologist friend told me because it drives drive me crazy because time and again, Lord would be negative about case. I'd take it, and we'd be successful with it. And here's, here's what he said. He said, the reason he is, is uh, thought of as being wise is because he never gives people fault. He never gives people hope. If you never give people hope, you can never make them painful. And therefore, they think you're wise because you don't create pain in their life. You don't mm-hmm. give them hope. See, when I say we can do it, Lord, and the client's sitting there, and he's saying, "No, oh, we can't, if I win, they don't even remember what he said. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <Christ>. right. <laughs> so happy, you know, and, and what he said doesn't bring them any pain, okay? Uh-huh. If I say we can, and he says we can't, and we go, we take the case and go to trial, and we don't be successful, who caused them pain? I did. You did. Because I gave them hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people are negative, and they don't realize it because they become somewhat known as being wise.
1: So, so failure's not always bad.
0: No. Why would you say that? Back to the child, falling, getting up, falling, getting up, falling, getting up. He's learning.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. So as you, uh, you know, when you look at yourself, back in your early career uh, and now you've had so much success since then, you've gained so much knowledge and wisdom since, since then, what would you tell your young lawyer self or what would you tell attorneys who are who are in law school at this point? What would be some of the best wisdom you can impart to them?
0: Somewhat based on what we're talking about today, I assume.
1: Yeah, or yeah, or any wisdom.
0: Yeah, you, you can get both. Well, I had kind of an advantage when I started law school because I'd been in the business world for a while, and uh, I've always uh, thought in a positive way. Even though I, I grew up in dire circumstances, I never thought we were poor. So I, I would simply uh, tell a, a law student, for example, to that number one, if you're in this business for the money, you will burn out. If you're in this business of law practice with a passion to help people, you will never burn out.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, and That's
0: probably true for a lot of careers. I would I mean, say that's true for most, just about every career. You know, I will never burn out practicing law because I have a passion to help people. Mm-hmm. But people that are in, money for, for in, in the business to make the money just for the money, that's, what, what's the, that's their motivator, they will burn out, they will burn out. And then of course, I would talk about what we've been talking about is never seeing if, uh, what, you, what we call a failure as a failure, okay? Mm-hmm. Never see it as a failure, see it as a learning block, see it as an opportunity to grow,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You see, because every time we have what we call a failure, it is an opportunity to grow. We do grow from it. We do learn. Right. But, okay, so do you think that, that fear limits
1: our vision? Do you think fear limits our ability to, to see what we're really capable of becoming?
0: Absolutely. Why? Because there is no logic in fear. Mm-hmm. It has no logic it's emotions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You see, it's emotions, and there's no logic in it. Now, it doesn't mean all all emotions are bad, because some are, are good.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: fear yes. is one that causes you to shake and tremble. <clears throat> For example, I was on a panel a couple of three years ago with uh, six people, four judges, and two lawyers. I was one of the lawyers. There was a uh, CLE for, for the legal profession. We had probably 200 people there. And they asked the question if you have a lawsuit that uh, has a problem in it, are you as a lawyer going to bring it out up front in order to uh, let the jury know that you're, you're being, uh, you know, telling them everything? Or are you going to risk letting the other side bring it out? And then you looking bad because you didn't bring it out. Everyone, I was the last one on the panel, said I would bring it out up front. I said, well, what I'm going to say, you probably think you probably think I'm being, trying to be funny. I'm not. I was sitting here thinking about it. I can't ever remember having a case that had a problem in it. They got looked at me strangely. I said, now, I've had cases that had challenges. What's the difference? If you think it's a problem, you will shudder and shake. If you think it's a challenge, you'll rise to the occasion. Hmm. We rise to the occasion when we see it as a challenge. I said, for example, if I sell cars and a guy comes on the lot, if I know what I'm doing, first thing I'll do is try to find his hot button. I find his speed. I take him in the fastest car we have on the lot. Talk about the speed. I know there's a car up the street that has similar speed, but not as much as ours, but it's more comfortable. Now, am I going to tell him about the car up the street? No, because he's looking for speed. Now, if he brings up the car up the street and I try to downgrade it, which I wouldn't, I'd go back to my, his hot button, speed. It's about speed, you know? And uh, so I say we don't have, I don't have problems in cases, I just have challenges. You know, like the case with Victor Zell where we sued for 58 million, and I told him to reduce it to ten million before I. And so when I got there to get ready for trial, he. I said, "Vic, they're going to throw us under this courthouse for fifty-eight million dollars." And I. And he well, he said, "I'm sorry, I forgot to do it, and now it's too late to do it." And I said, "Well, Vic, now you've given me what? Another challenge to deal with. I didn't say a problem. I said a challenge." So uh-huh. I, I found a way to handle the challenge. And boy, so that's
1: now, that's that's really taking more of a a positive attitude where a lot of people would take a negative and and now a lot of people are going you know to where they could see everything that's going on is there's a problem with this i have a problem with that this is creating a problem for me to be able to do this that and the other whereas really if we all we kind of look at this time as a challenging time
0: exactly you know fear fear, that problem brings fear so I saw it as a challenge. So in board and I said to the panel, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something I don't want you to find out until you've seen all the evidence in the case. And I will guarantee it caused us to get a bigger verdict because of how I handled this challenge to deal with it. I said, we have sued for so much money that if you find out before you see the evidence in the case and hear the evidence, it will make you very angry at us. I'm sure of that. And Mr. Thompson, you have a look on your face like, I bet I know, Mr. Thompson, it's more than that. Mrs. Jones, it's more than you're thinking. It's more than anyone in this courtroom is beginning to think. But once you hear the evidence, I give you my word and hold it against me, not my client, if you decide that I wasn't truthful. Once you hear the evidence, you will say to me, Mr. Richardson, I now understand why you sue for so much money. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to ask the defense lawyer when he gets up here not to tell you how much we sued for, because I don't want him to try to prejudice you before before you hear the evidence, you see the evidence in the case. Well, of course, I knew he would be the first thing he did, and it was. And you could see the expression on their face like, well, you know, and so, blank, so-and-so. He asked you not to try to prejudice us, you know? You're trying to prejudice, you know? right? <laughs> and I never dreamed they'd give us the whole fifty-eight million, but they did. Well, they did. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there's a case you, of seeing a there negative. must have
1: been something in you that that knew to do that, though.
0: It's just that I refuse to see negatives as negatives. Hmm.
1: So what you you have in your book uh, the the fear is never your friend. What you call I think the seven C's or something like that, where you talk about uh how you how you can take a situation and kind of turn it around,
0: yeah, the seven c's one is live at your confessions. And what do you way- mean by that? Well, what I mean by that, don't be saying things that are negative talk. Mm-hmm. don't be telling your stuff negative stuff,
1: okay. All right. So I'm assuming you're saying take a positive stance, take a challenging stance.
0: If you can't think of something positive, say don't say anything. Okay. Just don't make negative confessions. Mm Then congruency, harmony in your thinking. Well, you can't have faith and and fear in your thing at the same time. They don't coexist, for example. Mm -hmm. So you need harmony. Your objective is XYZ the things that you think about should be moving toward your objectives. Mm-hmm. That brings harmony. Concentration.
1: Right. So, so it almost sounds like uh, if you're going to have a Bible in one hand, don't have negative thinking in the other. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have a Bible in one hand, have positive yeah. thinking in the other.
0: You know, It has to be congruent. <laughs> and the next one is concentration. Stay focused. Now, I go back to your story, Todd, not only your story, but your life that you lived traveling all these fifty states to climb the highest mountain. And and by the way, so that people know, uh, Todd was invited to be a part of a group and they, they ended up canceling it because they didn't weren't able to raise the funds that they were trying to raise. So yeah, that's Todd took right. out on his own, all by himself, to to, to now Do you think there's any way, Todd, you could have done what you did if you hadn't stayed focused on your goal? Mm -hmm. How many times do you have to deal with fear? I can only imagine. Yeah, it was there, but it was something to
1: face and to walk through because if I ever would have let fear be a roadblock for me or a wall to get in my way and I would have turned around then I never would have accomplished the good that was there for me, nor would I have been able to inspire who knows how many people over the decades. And and we're not talking about a few, we're talking probably, I mean, millions and millions and millions of people have heard the story. Um, But fear, fear could have been a very thin veil that looked so Impenetrable. I mean, where there's no way I could have got through it right. if I would have just thought that it was something that I couldn't have just
0: walked straight through. Well, you kept fear out of your thinking process.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the next one is competence—the ability to do something successfully. Now, I like to tell a story about my son Chuck. When he was a freshman at Baylor University, he called me one day and he said, "Dad." He said, I need your permission to drop out of finite math. He said, I didn't have a good math background at, at school. I won't name the school that he went to, <clears throat> small country school. And he said, I don't know why the, uh, they put me in this course, my counselor, because most students are upperclassmen, sophomores, juniors, et cetera, I'm a freshman. And dad, I, I, can't, do, I can't do this uh, finite, finite math. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want your permission to drive out I so son
1: so, so it sounds like the language I can't is used right. a
0: lot when it comes to fear right. exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly So I said, son, let's uh, uh, meet in Dallas Thursday night and have a conversation uh, about this and uh, so I drove to Dallas from Muskogee. He drove from da- he drove to Dallas from Waco. and then I said son, I want to ask you not ever again to say, and say there's something humanly possible that you can't do. I don't want you to insult your own intelligence nor your mother's nor mine, but saying something humanly possible you can't do. Can't do is not the reason. The issue is, are you willing to pay the price? Mm -hmm. For example, I accept the fact that you didn't have a good background in math. I accept the fact that you don't feel adequate pass this course, but you can be. For example, you may have to study Chuck 100 hours, whereas other students may only have to study four or five or six. The point is, you have the mental capacity and capability to do it.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I said, now, what I want to say is this. I'm not saying if you drop out of the course that you will start A life directing you toward running from challenges. I'm not saying one time we'll do that. But son, that's something you need to keep in mind. If we run from challenges, we will continue to run unless we stop and take control and recognize what's going on in our lives. I said, if you once we talk, if you want to drop out of finite math, I will, I will bless you. I will support you, but it's going to be your decision, not mine. You've asked my thoughts, my opinion. I'm giving them to you. Long story short, Todd, that was a Thursday night. The test was the following Tuesday. Chuck set the curve, made the top grade on the test, and it's written up in a motivational book by Paul Waco, Texas. He set the curve. See, he had the competence to do it. But it was fear, mm-hmm. and, script, yes. and, and it's interesting because I, I
1: know you mentioned how how fear we like with uh with Chuck's case, your your son, fear could have taken him to a complete different path. It could no, have taken him down did. a path for the rest of his life, or mm-hmm. much of his life, where he would have been very unhappy, disfet satisfied with his career. Um, always felt like he never really accomplished what he really, truly could have done, just because he ran across this little detour that fear tried to impose on him.
0: Yeah. And had he succumbed to it, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. Now, it isn't that he couldn't have later in life come to the realization of all that, but it would have been, as you said, temporarily on the wrong track. Yeah. The next C C is courage.
1: How many people are temporarily on wrong tracks right now because of fear?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mentored a number of young men, as you know, and and that's that's the whole thing about mentoring a young man is to change their direction. Uh, Very quickly, I had a young man that uh, I knew somewhat from group meetings asked me if I'd mentor him. It's five, six years ago. And I said, uh, are you sure you want to do that? He said, why? I said, "Uh, it could be very painful. But I said, there's something you do that nearly drives me up a wall, but I've never said a word to you about it because you've never given me permission to come into your life in that fashion. Mm -hmm. And if if you give me permission, I will tell you what it is. He said, you have permission. You use absolutes maybe more than anyone I've ever been around in my life and it harms your relationship with your spouse, it harms your relationship with your fellow workers, mm-hmm. it harms your relationship with your friends. People begin to not know whether to believe when you know what you're talking about or not. And so that, that was the direction. So there was a case...
1: Give me an example of an absolute, maybe not one that he used, but just an absolute so we're
0: clear on that.
1: How do people use absolutes?
0: I'm going to suggest about eighty five percent What would you think
1: right uh, <laughs> no, I, well I, 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 they're used to a lot they're used a lot the, other, some than
0: others yeah an example is you always do x, y, z, yeah, you know, and sometimes i I fail and i say i i always say, well, wait a minute, I often do x, y z uh-huh. You know? But it always is an absolute, you know. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it becomes debilitating. And I said to him, I said, if you let me uh, do some of the coaching in groups, uh, no one else will know what we're talking about, and you'll develop quicker. And my main objective is to find out what you get out of using absolutes. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to try to determine, because once we know that, then it'll be easier for you to turn loose of it. So, so What do
1: you, what do you think uh, this person was getting out of absolutes? I'm going to tell you,
0: but first, we were watching a basketball game with a group, and he said, Don't referees always do XYZ? Uh huh. Well, guys, unlike Chuck, I can't say they always do, but they sure do it a lot. And so, of course, he got the message. Well, two months after mentoring him once a week, it came to me, and I said, Chuck, I think I've come. An, I have an opinion. You'll, you'll have to decide whether or not it has value on what caused you to start using absolutes in your life and continue to do so. And he said, okay. I said, I've decided that you needed attention so badly hmm. that bad attention was better than no attention at all. And when you lose, use absolutes, you will create opposition. Yeah. No question about it. But right. you, you needed attention so badly that, that was better for you than no attention at all. And he sat there and he said, I think you're right. <laughs> Got it. So did he then come back to you and say, Dad,
1: you're always right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think I ever had one saying. Okay, that's a good absolute. We, we'll, we'll, we'll set that one. We'll, we'll go with that one.
0: <laughs> and encourage, of course, I think. I, I can't say any better than what I did with the trial where I'm telling them to court eight times, you know, until I was going to jail for six months, but I kept my course. In other words, I kept my focus mm-hmm. on what was important. And in creativity, that's pretty much using your imagination. Con, uh, continence, let there be no interruption, you know. There'll be no interruptions. So those are the seven C's that are more fully explained in my book. But uh, you know, well then, then when somebody finally lets go of fear, and
1: I know it plays out so many different ways in people's lives. Let's make it clear: you that we you can be depressed, you can have a, a lot of anxiety, uh, you cannot be clear in your thinking. I mean. I can't think of really anything positive that, that fear does for someone. And, and it's not that we don't, you know, sometimes I think a, a fear, a little thought of fear might come through and I know just to kind of let it go. And it's, it's almost like, well, it, it's making me need to think about something. And, but, but not, not out of fear, but it's almost like a flashing light. But I don't want to give fear any, any credibility. I don't want to give it any weight for, for anything. I mean, is there anything that fear is good for?
0: You know, I've never been asked that question. I don't think it's good for anything, really. I'll but- agree with that. I will agree with that. When I say fear is never your friend. I don't see how I can think it's good for anything. Uh, you know, it. it um, uh, and, and let's let let's make this clear. Fear will always try to come on us. Fear tries to come on me, but I look it in the face. Yeah. And I walk away. And, and sometimes now here here's something. Uh, you know, uh, when fear comes on, it and and we and we uh, see it as nothing more. Than trying to intimidate us, then we'll figure out what what is it trying to try intimidate me about. I give you an example. Right, right. I'm going yeah. to an Angel Fire with uh, my other son Chad and, and his wife, and uh, I was going out there primarily to uh, get ready for trial, but we had decided we'd ski one day while we we're out there. So we go to dinner one evening. We we're going to go skiing the next day, but on the way back to the to the place we were staying. It crossed my mind, uh, and first it was fear, but I, I looked it in the face and, and I said, I, I won't basically, you know, in my mind, I won't, I won't, I won't get fear. Then I realized what, what was happening. I wasn't supposed to ski, and, but, I, but I came to realize that number one, it was because of knowledge, you know, at my age, and I hadn't skied in about six or seven years, and I don't have anything but a fast gear in me. You know, I, I don't have a slow drive. Yeah. Uh, and, and my knowledge, that's crazy for me to get on a slope. I could seriously injure myself. Mm-hmm. So I use knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. But what triggered me to even start thinking about the issue could have been fear trying to come on me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, right. But now, it wasn't my friend. Yes. Yeah. Values, knowledge, and wisdom.
1: Yeah. So, so when we finally let go of, uh, let go of fear, and, and I want to make it so clear that because we might live our lives in a way that we, uh, we look at fear as being something that really doesn't exist, it's something that is, is absolutely insane. It's not anything that we want to to include in our lives, it doesn't mean that we don't deal with it. We still have to deal with it. Uh, Just like like anybody else, it's just that that what we're offering here is a different way of handling fear and looking at it.
0: Let me ask you a question, Todd. Sure. Do you think someone that doesn't worry, doesn't become anxious, Is looked at as someone that's kind of shallow?
1: I think they're looking, you look at them and you might think they might be in a little bit of denial. They may not really uh, have feet on the
0: ground. Well, see, and I think that's a lot of why people do show expressions of of fear and anxiety when the scripture tells us be anxious for nothing.
1: Yeah, isn't that that interesting? (laughs) Yeah. But but I will say this, it's not, I mean, because I can say that I I know my attitude about it, but at the same time, I'm not in denial. And here's the big difference. Fear, fear I see as being more of an illusion, but I'm not in denial of danger. And I think the that, when I see them not have fear and they don't recognize danger, I think this can be a dangerous situation.
0: Right. right, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, it's knowledge. And, and most people, really that not thinking about anything. What, why am I feeling? Why, why is fear trying to come on me? And so they stop thinking about what it is they're, they're going to do and, th- and they start thinking about it saying, you know, it wouldn't be smart for me to do that. And here's why. Yeah. That's knowledge. But there are people out there right now, Gary, that,
1: that like, I don't have any fear of this. I don't see any danger of this. And I'm thinking that is probably not the right attitude. I think not having fear of it is fine, but recognizing that you need to take precautions is wise.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, all right, so when we let go of the fear, what do we get out of that? What What is the what yeah. is the gift, what is the blessing that comes to our lives when we finally recognize fear for what it really is, which is nothing?
0: P-E-A-C-E.
1: <laughs> okay. You want to spell that one more time for me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> P-E-A-C-E, peace. Okay,
1: <laughs> very good. <laughs> peace. Peace. <laughs> peace brother. <laughs> okay, very good. So, uh, so we get peace of mind. Right. And, and peace of heart, which is our natural state of being. Right. And, and that is the love state of being. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, that works for me. Uh, I'm telling you. It, it's an interesting subject, and, and here's the book. Yeah, to so hold the book up so
1: everybody can see it. And uh, since so we're having to wrap this up, uh, wait, move it over a little bit. It's getting a little bit of glare there on your screen there. And if anybody wants to get the book, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, where do they go what's your website
0: or uh, they can email me at uh, gary at rrb boy, okay, that's gary at RRBok.com, okay, or they can call me on my cell phone 918-527-1175 and tell me they'd like a copy and uh I have discount for this purpose for $10. You know, there's normally more than that, but, uh, anyone that would like to have a copy and uh, uh, just give me a call or email me.
1: Awesome. Okay. Very good. And, uh, Gary, I appreciate you being here talking about fear, not being our friend and, uh, I'm not even going to let it be my enemy. I'm not going to give it any space at all, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to give it any space at all. And I really appreciate appreciate your book and, and also sharing your
0: knowledge and wisdom. Today. <laughs> all right. And I've written four books, if I might add this. The first one was Fear, It's Never Your Friend, which I said is the last book I'd ever write. I never intended to write any, but I was... You know, talking about fearsome, I said I was encouraged to write a book. Second, I wrote is is called Black Robe Fever, and the theory of that book is is that all cowards seek positions of power. Why? Because the more power they have, the more safe they feel. And when a coward gets power, they will they will become a bully. Mm-hmm. So the judges that helped me in the court, I knew were cowards because they were being bullies, you know, and because they were going outside their authority. And that's all explained in my book, Black Robe Fever. And the judge that said I was going to go for six months, when trial was over, he just went through the back door to his chambers. I went through security and went to his chambers and he looked at me like, what are you doing here? I said, judge, you told me I was going to jail for six months. When the trial's over, I'm recording. Now, I couldn't have done that at if, if fear. And most people would say, well, how stupid is that? You know, well, if, if he's going to put me in jail, he'd, he'd have someone come after me anyway. So, you know, <laughs> and, and I didn't have any fear of going to jail. You know, that's what he going to do. I, I'd already made my mind I was willing to pay that price. And he looked at me and said, Mr. Richardson, I had a job to do and you had a job to do. I just hope I did mine half as well as you did yours. You go home and toss it. So it's in that book, and, and again, people should go on Netflix and watch the Confession Killer, mm-hmm. Confession Killer Henry Lucas. The third book I wrote is Thank God They Ate the Apple, and that's my change from uh, Armenian doctrine to Calvinist. Uh Uh, You know, I I don't criticize Armenian doctrine, I just say it it didn't bring me what I needed. And I decided to search until I found the answer to my need in the scriptures, and I became of the Calvinist faith. And the fourth one is, I want you to see me. Whatever I allow to come into your life, or whatever I bring into your life, I want you to see me using it for, you're good. Now, Todd, if we believe that, which I totally believe, how could we have any fear about what's going on today with this virus and what you? Now, do I still do things that I should? I've washed my hands more than I ever have in my life. I stay at home most of the time. I'm very, I don't get out a lot like I would typically. And so, yeah, I'm doing things that to me are, are wisdom. I'm not going to run out in front of a truck but I don't have fear about it, I'm at peace. That's what brings it, is peace.
1: Awesome, love it Gary. Thank you. Thank you very much, and um, we'll look forward to having you on again sometime. Okay, man. We need to talk about some of those other books sometime.
0: Okay. Okay, all right, thank you Gary. God bless you. Uh
1: Thank you for listening to Love Leaders Podcast. We welcome you to find more information at loveleaderspodcast.com. You can also replay our shows at Spotify, Google Play, and other top podcast directories. Don't forget to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages and subscribe, rate, review, and share. Now, go use the greatest power within you, the power of love. Go change your life and go change the world.